So before we start this wonderful show, I do always want to appreciate and thank Betty Ryder Boutique. Just go through the red door at Preston Center and you will find fabulous clothes and jewelry and handbags. And if you go in, tell them that you heard about it on this show and you'll get $100 off. Did you hear that? Just mention doing it right and you will get $100 off. All right, let's get going. You know, the word purpose, I've been thinking about that for a while and it's it's kind of an elusive, even scratchy term to a lot of us. But I will tell you that every guest on Doing It Right has found their purpose. So it's possible for you to find yours. It's also interesting that as I do personal branding work and executive presence, I'm always talking about, let's get to your purpose. Let's discuss your purpose. Let's bring in your purpose. And oftentimes people go, I just can't quite name it. Well, I got to tell you, my guest today knows exactly what his purpose is. And we're going to talk about that. I also just want to remind you, please, that I do keynote speaking on doing it right, making your mark and making it count. And I would love to come to your organization and do that talk. So just email me after the show and let's chat, okay? Now, seriously, it's all over the news regularly. It's the drug use issue, not only that we face in this country, but in Texas, and it's astronomical. We all know that. And no one knows better about this subject but, but Drew Dutton, who is the CEO and president of Phoenix House, Texas, which is a nonprofit specializing in adolescent substance use treatment and prevention services. So, so needed. Drew himself struggled with substance use from a very young child in middle school, if you can believe that. And he's kind enough to speak very openly, candidly, and vulnerably about a very sensitive time in his life. So, you know, why did he get into that sp spiral? And how did he recover? And it wasn't easy. Stay tuned for really a raw talk from a man who's been at the very bottom and he's climbed to the top and he knows what every rung on that ladder feels like. Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. So I want to welcome today, Drew Dutton. Drew, thank you so much for being on this show. This is not an easy topic to talk about, is it? I'm, my goal is to make it easier for everyone. I think so. What a nice thing to say. Yeah. He's got a kind face, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, you've worked in this field for uh, since 19, or since 19. <laughs> Start over on that one. <laughs> 
So Drew, you've worked in this field since 2011. Why are you so drawn to this topic? Well, I have personal experience as an adolescent in need of substance use treatment. Um, you know, you'd mentioned that kind of starting in, in middle school and throughout, you know, the beginning of high school. Um, I, I was someone who needed to seek out services at a residential level of care. Um, what does that mean? So uh, there's different levels of treatment that people might need access to. So residential is a program where you go live in the treatment center. So and how old were you? I had just turned 16 when I went to treatment. But but you started, go back to I when all this started. I started maybe, I mean, it started well before substance use started. I mean, it, it started from a really young childhood age. I had always struggled with different mental health issues and behavioral concerns. You know, I really struggled to uh, kind of fit in in class and with social groups and things like that. Uh, I had a very supportive family. Um, I was adopted when I was about four days old. So I, I never mm. met my Bless biological family or anything like that. But, you know, my parents that have raised me have done a phenomenal job despite the challenges that, you know, I definitely put before them. But you know, I, I struggled a lot with depression and anxiety and just controlling my own emotions and things like that. So, you know, I'd been involved with therapy and psychiatry probably since age six. Mm. I'd really been trying to seek a lot of help. And um, while that was valuable, you know, at the time and the best effort as a kid trying to understand why you're going to so many different doctors and so many different medications and all of these different things I, I didn't see as resources, but more as an indication that like something was broken or, mm. or wrong. Why am I needing all of these different things that I don't, you know, my friends don't have to do or other people aren't having to do. And then in middle school, I was exposed to drugs for the first time. And it wow. just, some friends had a family member that, that used. Um, so they'd taken some from the parent and then we'd shared it. All right, I want to stop there. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And yet, are there statistics around how that can happen where it's the parents? It's, re I mean, it's very common. I mean, we, even, even accidentally, I mean, we, I was doing some opioid uh, research and it, it's in the news all the time now about, you know, young children being having opioid overdoses and poisonings. I think 44%, so just under half of the poison control calls for opioid overdoses involved, I think someone five or younger. So a lot of times family members don't recognize it's not even necessarily substances that the parents are misusing, but just have in the home and haven't thought that this is something we need to get out. We need to find a place that this can be taken or disposed of so a child can't have access to it. So you, were exposed to it in middle school. In middle school. Five, you said five years old? Uh, no, no, five years old was for the um, poison control calls. Oh. I was around 13, 14, something oh, okay. like that. Okay. And then um, those, it, I latched on pretty quick. It was something that I, you know, tried to use daily if I could and started using slightly different substances and things like that. But Where'd you get it? Um, you just school i mean for the most part you can meet people through school i mean i would been in private school i'd been in public school there was really no difference as far as like access if you're looking for something it's unfortunately very very easy for for a child to access substances if that's mm. what they're looking for um and then variety of different issues and 
you know, was, my grades were struggling. Um, I had a 0.6 GPA my freshman year and then ended up uh, getting expelled and dropping out early my second semester. And then that's when my family uh, found a residential program that I could go to. And then I went to one program for a year and then another program that uh, was a lot like a boarding school, but they had really supportive counselors and kind of a structure around it for the remaining two years and was able to graduate high school. Wow. Uh, the good news is look how successful you are now. And that's a God's blessing. Thank really. you. I want to go back to that, though, because as a parent and now a grandparent, I'm thinking what must have been the hardest for them? Yeah. I mean, my family, you know, really a pivotal moment was realizing what my family really wanted from me. You know, my my dad is a literal rocket scientist. He's an aerospace, really? aerospace engineer, and he's worked for a variety of different universities doing that. And then my mom uh, is a nurse practitioner, uh, and they were both phenomenal students, brilliant, brilliant minds. Uh, and I thought that the expectation was set that I needed to accomplish the same. I needed to have this high caliber profession. I needed to make grades. Um, so a lot of pressure was put on me, but it was it was really internal. Mm. Um, and I think that that's when I had a big changing moment was in a, we were having you know family therapy session and my dad just said, you know, he just, all he wanted was for me to be happy. He did not care what I did, what my profession was, what my job was. He just wanted me to be happy and he could tell that I wasn't. And mm -hmm. it really just the way he said it, mm -hmm. the moment we had, I mean, it just it, it clicked mm -hmm. that it was just about doing something that I enjoyed. And I finally started to explore, OK, what is it I do want instead of this expectation that I've been trying to live up to? And ironically, ended up doing fine in school and really well in college and all yes. of that. But I think just knowing I didn't have to or think that I had to made all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yes, your, yes. Your, your mind is very bright. So you've got degrees in from where? What? You went to college where? Oh, I went to TCU and okay. then I did my master's TCU and then I went to Baylor for an MBA and then I'm finishing up a master's at UPenn right now. So the brain just is fine. Yes, yes. And I, <laughs> I think that contributes to what was hardest for them. They saw the potential they mm -hmm. wanted me to be happy. And I think having to see me struggle so much, knowing that I had everything I needed to be successful and mm. that I could do well in those things, you know, I think was really, really hard for them because I think they saw it all along, even when I didn't. Supportive parents. Very, very. So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, so, Drew, I'm curious, is drug use or the tendency, mm -hmm. is it hereditary? They found some genetic components to it, but they haven't identified, you know, that this specific gene or this specific trait guarantees someone will develop a substance use disorder. There's there's a variety of different risk factors that can make someone more or less predisposed. You know, people have protective mm -hmm. factors and they have risk factors, but it's never a guarantee. You know, mm -hmm. you see people come from families with long histories of substance use and they don't develop an issue. and you see the opposite, you know, where people come from families where there's been no history of substance use and it's something that they, they struggle with. So what should parents look for? This is, this is the thing, you know, I get asked to speak on 
the most, you know, and people always want to know what are the specific, you know, words or actions or behaviors to look out for. But the thing is, there's just, there's so many different substances, unfortunately, out there. And there's so many different ways that they affect people that really what I tell families and people to look out for is deviations from the norm. You know, if you've got someone who's normally quite sluggish and low energy, all of a sudden bouncing off the walls and up at late at night or the opposite, someone who's normally very high energy, you know, seems that like that's very lethargic or it's gone down or, you know, friend groups or fashion or some very drastic change mm -hmm. in what you're used to seeing with that individual is, is an indicator that something might really be going on. Um, however, that as well as addiction and substance use as a whole is really tricky with adolescence because so many of the behaviors we see associated with a substance use disorder are very similar to just kind of typical adolescent behavior. They're <laughs> trying on a lot of different hats. They're changing Aww. friends and stuff all the time. So Aww. that particular age range um, is a little bit harder. Whereas with an adult, we tend to be a little bit more set in our routines and those those changes might be a little bit more dramatic or, or obvious mm -hmm. to us if, to see someone's you know work performance or mm -hmm. physical health or something really start to change abruptly. That's good information. So those who come to Phoenix House, mm -hmm. um, talk to us about what treatment looks like. Sure. So treatment for families is a really overwhelming step. You know, I mean, you're already at a place where you might be you know, feeling a little hopeless or very scared. You know, you've got a loved one, a family member that's struggling with a substance use disorder. Most families aren't sure what to do or what the best next steps are, or how to help, or maybe they've tried to help in a variety of different ways within the home and they continue to see it worsen and worsen. And I think what can be scary is that it's a, it's a really tough world to navigate. One, there's so much stigma around substance use disorders, mm -hmm. you know, and, and mental health, you know, we've, we've come a long way, but we still tend to put medical care, mental health, and substance use disorders in different categories instead of seeing these as all, you know, treatable things that we can help individuals with. You know, there's this this perception of just or misperception rather of just choice that these are just bad people making bad choices from this outdated approach of looking at substance use disorders we know to not be true. So some families are afraid to talk about the problem or admit that there's an issue and seek out help. And then after they seek out help, um, sometimes they're not able to afford or access the services that are there. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have the right insurance or the right type of funding. It's, it's incredibly costly. So what I love about Phoenix House Texas is that we will treat individuals and families regardless of their financial situation. Mm -hmm. So we remove that barrier. Uh, so the vast majority of families we work with are either underfunded or, or unfunded. So they can reach out to us just to figure out if we can help without that being a potential barrier that's gonna be in the way where it's something they wanna access but simply can't afford. Mm -hmm. um, so we meet, screen, assess, and determine the appropriate level of care for their, their kid and then make that recommendation and then offer those services to them. So that's a, a wonderful place. Is it a national organization? Years ago, it was. So it used to be a part of a big national nonprofit. And then several years ago, Phoenix House Texas broke off into its own entity. And mm -hmm. we really have decided we want to focus on adolescent care. A lot of what the um, national program was doing was adult services. Mm -hmm. And we've really tried to hone in, hone in there. 
about how many children, young people, at any one given point in time, are you helping? Oh, and it, through prevention, I mean, in a year we help you know, tens of thousands if we wow. include our prevention. Because we go out into schools and community centers, so our outreach is, is pretty far and wide. And then mm -hmm. we've got two residential programs around 32 beds each um, that stay pretty full. And then we've got outpatient programs in Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Round Rock, so spread out as well. Can you give us a good story about a turnaround? I, th I mean, they're all they're all great. What I what I love about the model that that we utilize is, you know, treatment has been so punitive and mm -hmm. so shame based for so long. This old idea that it needs, you know, I talked about that misperception. These are bad people. We need to punish it out of them or treat them. And we've built an entire treatment model um, focused on being strengths based and positive psychology principles. So it's really with, with those patients that are just have never been approached that way. They've been called, you know, delinquent, trouble and addict and just all these sure. awful terms for so long. And then for us to do their strengths assessment with them and figure out what they're good at and start building them from there. It's almost this kind of skepticism at first, but then oh. to just see them really embrace people that are focused on what they do well and for them to share what it means to have adults in their life that are focused on believing in them and what they can do well and what those strengths are as opposed to just another set of individuals telling them what they can't do or what they're doing wrong and, mm -hmm. you know that's that's not going to be the intervention it's not going to be someone you know yelled at me one last time or told me one last hurtful thing um and then the family's really engaged too because you know a lot of times they'll say that uh, you know we see their kids how they've seen their kids you mm -hmm. know and they've been hearing from school administrators or probation officers or all these different sources, you know, how much of a problem their kid is. And then for us to be able to speak to the strengths that those parents have known since, you know, uh -huh. that kid was little and just has lost a little bit of touch with um, is really meaningful for the families as well. I love that approach. <laughs> I love that approach. What is coming to mind too is we never outgrow <laughs> the need to focus on our God-given strengths and talents and abilities, i.e., the whole, the whole thing about strengths finder yeah. and positive psychology mm -hmm. and um, how the brain works and always feeding it with good things and so forth. So it makes it makes perfect sense uh, to me, and I'm just so glad to have you on the show today because it's a topic that continues. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. is there hope? Is there hope? Talk to us about the hope of this can statistically go down instead of keeping trending up. I, there is hope. You know, it, it is it is bad. You know, yeah. I mean, we, you know, the, the CDC was talking about, you know, we declared an opioid epidemic when we were, I think, at 120 overdoses a day. And I think we're over 300 now. Oh. You know, they came out and said that opioid overdoses are the leading cause of death for all Americans under 50. Not A, but the leading cause of death with fentanyl alone, I think covering the bulk of that range from 18 to 45. So it is, mm. it's bad, it's you know, real. and it continues to go up and it it went uh, up, a, you know, significantly for adolescents as we see them shift towards fentanyl and opioid um, use as well and overdoses as well. Mental Health America did um, a study on access to care and ranked Texas 
51st because they included DC. So dead last at the bottom of that list. So I know I've said there's hope and then listed all of these horrible things, but (laughs) we are seeing people are starting to gain its attention, you know, are people starting to to pay attention to it? You know, I mean, you can't when it's ignore it when it's this many American lives and it's your own state that's struggling. And I think people are becoming a lot more willing to embrace and talk about substance use issues. And I think the more people talk about it, the more they recognize that it's, it's very widespread. You know, mm-hmm. there's this stigma around it has been the biggest barrier that, you know, people are only supposed to be affected if you meet certain characteristics or a certain type of person or something like that. And we know that tend to just not be true. And I think the conversation continues to open and people are starting to recognize that there's a lot of communities that need a lot of support. Um, so we're starting to see legislation and the community and everyone trend in the right direction. We have a lot of ground to cover, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that that we are moving in the right direction and can make a difference. It is clear that you are doing what you love, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, leave home at the end of a day and you go home to your wonderful little 15-month-old boy and family, um, how hard is it to leave leave the stuff and go home to your precious family you know i i I bring the good home as well you know i think for all the challenges and and things we face there's so many positive moments and positive stories from every day and every week and i really try to keep those with me and i'm I love to bring those home and those feelings home and, you know, those different types of stories and be able to come and share them with other people. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you know, it it has its challenges. There's a lot of really hard days and Mm -hmm. there's a lot, um, that we're up against, but I think I keep enough of that in mind and work to stay focused on enough of that, that it's overall a positive experience to bring home. That's wonderful, Drew. Uh, one of your top takeaways is empathy is essential and nurture your relationships. That's two of them. Talk to us about those. Yeah, I mean, I, I teach a class at TCU on um, addictions counseling. Okay. And, you know, there, there's there's all of this research that people pour in trying to figure out what's the best therapeutic approach or intervention or what is the absolute best thing to do mm-hmm. so that we can make the biggest impact or which theory is better than another theory. And, and overwhelmingly, the research comes back and shows us that counselors high in empathy and create an emp- empathic experience for their patients have the best outcomes sure. and the patients engage the best. And not only do they engage the best, but years later, those results are retained. I mean, it sounds simple, but people really just need a good listener to really hear their story and and what they're going through and i think that that art gets lost a lot listening yeah it gets back to listening everywhere it gets back to are you really listening yes drew this has been incredible uh on so many levels because i don't believe there's a family or a person watching or listening that hasn't either experienced or been around or watched a friend experience. I mean, it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to have you on to really get to the issue at hand, but also the hope which you got to. Uh, 
Yes. Which means so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for taking the time. And thank you for being so vulnerable on camera to give your story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do it and anything to help the cause. And I am sure you will be happy to speak at other organizations. Is that right? Absolutely. More than willing to. <laughs> so if people have questions, where can they reach out to Phoenix House and to you? Mm -hmm. So they can go to phoenixhousetx.org or they can call us at 844-PH-TEXAS. That's great. And we've got that, of course, on the banner of your screen. So I want to thank you, Drew. Thank you for having me. Now we get to go have a cup of coffee. There we go. All right. <laughs> and stay tuned because I have my Valerieism, as you know. And this one is related. If you, uh, if you know it doesn't look right and you know it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't smell right, <laughs> you better do something about it. And we've talked today about the drug abuse, abuse, use, drug <laughs> use, I'm not supposed to say that, drug use, but I wanna take it into business too. There are so many times when we just allow ourselves to skirt around an issue. And let me give you an example. There was a gentleman that I know who had a senior level uh, position in a large company headquartered in California. And he was doing great work. He and the CEO had a wonderful relationship. And it happened to be that he was head of sales for this national organization. And he recognized that there was something that didn't feel right, sound right, smell right, and delved into and found the fact that the top salesman across the country was shipping marijuana in the company cartons to particular clients. No wonder he was the top salesperson to which this gentleman let the CEO know. To which the CEO said, oh my gosh, I've got to make a choice you know, you're not gonna like this, but he is our top salesman. To which the gentleman quit the company. I wonder what you would have done. It's neither here nor there to answer that question. But the thing is, don't ever, don't ever compromise your own integrity. This gentleman that quit went on to higher positions, more money, and more peace of mind. And that's my Valerieism for today. And by the way, before I let you go, I've got to mention my books. I never do, but there they are, those who have, of you who are watching on YouTube, Valerie's two books on Amazon, Do It Right, of course, which is all about business etiquette issues. And then I love this one, Monday Morning Leadership for Women. Women, it's a go-to book. It's great to use in a mentoring situation. It's great to get some quick, easy lessons. And it's a conversation between a mentor and a mentee. I had such fun being the mentor and then the mentee and writing in both voices. So pick it up. I think you'll like it.
Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.